is this a consumer facing phone? Is this an NFT? Is this like a, a scarce value thing? Like there's no clear product strategy for what the saga phone is at this point. And I feel like it's just been like really forced. Like in reality, I do not want to use an Android phone right now. I like the blue text. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about this. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. March is just around the corner, and I wanted to make sure to give you a quick reminder to not top tick your prices of your DAS London tickets. If you use codes 0x10 at checkout, you can lock in a 10% discount on your ticket. Don't miss out on your chance to get ahead of the curve. I'll see you in London. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. The BlockWorks research team is back to give you another episode of an analyst roundtable. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, and today... I am without my co-host, Dan. He is uh, getting some much-needed vacation, but we do have Westy, Effort Capital, and Zero X Pibbles joining us this week. So I was thinking we could start this off by, I guess, going through some news and governance updates, and I can I can kick this one off for us. So over the weekend, we saw a Rabbi Wallet uh, teasing a snapshot on Twitter for what people are speculating will be an airdrop. I actually saw a pretty good take on this one on Twitter from Crypto Condom saying that... Uh, a lot of the swaps are MEV protected and use uh, aggregators by default. So uh, the cow protocol could potentially benefit from some increased rabbi wallet adoption. thought that was kind of a cool little uh, takeaway from that. I don't know. I think some of you guys on the team use rabbi. I admittedly have not. So curious if you guys have any insights there. Yeah, I'm a big user of rabbi for my Ethereum transactions. And I, I love the user experience. They do a good job in showing you exactly what you're actually interacting with, uh, how much is being withdrawn or deposited. Like it's really, really straightforward and good for sort of the, the crypto degen who wants to know exactly, you know, what they're uh, doing with their wallet. So obviously I'm super happy that there's potential airdrop coming my way. Is it pronounced Rabbi? Did I just butcher it calling it rabbi for like the first three minutes of the episode? (laughs) first kosher wallet in web three <laughs> uh, that's actually pretty good i love that okay uh on to the next one though yeah i i think that a lot of people like for you know rabbi have been um like i don't i don't think people actually thought there was going to be an airdrop so people have just been shilling that product because it's genuinely a good product which is obviously a, a pretty good sign so maybe check that one out that's on my to-do list as well um tangentially to cow protocol uh, they're also renewing their grants program with 700,000 XDAI and 1 million cow tokens with an additional 3 million cow tokens for a volume incentives program. So that's worth about roughly $1 million uh, with 30, 33 cents cow token price. So kind of substantial. Um, hopefully that can drive some more volume there. I feel like there's like renewed interest in cow swap. So that's pretty cool to see. I know everyone here on the team is pretty big fans of what they're doing. Um, any Anything else you guys got to add there or should I move on to the next one? I'd just like to point out that CalSwap is a great protocol and was one of my best airdrops in crypto. So always here for more Cal airdrops. You love to hear it. Plus the the moo sound everyone gets all hyped up about is, is always a nice bonus. Kind of reminds me of pseudo swap days when we were all having fun over there. But uh, on to uh, Eigenlayer. They're adding some new LSTs uh, January 29th, and they're also reopening the restaking window for assets between January 29th and February 2nd. Um, kind of self-explanatory. If you want in on that airdrop, I guess, presumably to deposit some some LSTs into 
uh, Eigenlayer. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing some huge expectations for the airdrop value on my timeline, given the Eigen DA and wider DA narrative, the restaking narrative, all the protocols popping up there. Does anyone have anything they want to say on on that narrative? Yeah, it's going to one quadrillion fully diluted valuation <laughs> day one. I mean, based on my timeline, I would I would take it as fact, to be completely honest. Everyone's doing the moon math already, but hey, it worked out for Dan when he was doing the the GDO calculations with the the flashbots premium. So maybe it'll it'll actually launch at quadrillion. <laughs> Um, another one here. We've talked about this a couple times. Sorry, effort. Did you have something there? I was just gonna say I'm convinced nobody still understands what Eigenlayer does, or like what an ABS actually is. But yeah, it's absolutely going to a quadrillion dollars because nobody understands what it is. Yeah, I had to uh, embarrassingly like someone dropped ABS like that acronym in the chat, and I had to look up what it was because I swear there's like a new acronym every other day in this space. It's really annoying, actually. But uh, on to Ava. We've mentioned this a couple different times. Probably got some salty team members here who fumbled some bags there because everyone knew this was going to happen. But uh, again, we were probably too early. Uh, the TGE for Ava, which is, again, the, the ribbon token migration over to a new token on the OP stack uh, derivatives chain, slated to occur before February 1st. And it's my understanding that the tokens, when you enter the migration, will be locked for three months as S Avo. And SAVO holders get numerous perks such as boosted rewards, uh, two times voting power, the ability to submit proposals, as well as discounted fees on the product or products, I should say, that they offer. Um, and on top of that, it looks like they're planning to do a pretty generous incentive program once that token migration occurs. So I assume the rewards for the people who do migrate the token will be pretty fat. They did a ton of volume last week. They brought in like half a million fees, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, and just for extra context, DYDX V4 did about $750,000 of fees uh, over the same time frame. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty bullish on, on AVO. I, it's hard for me to distinguish if this is organic volume or people trying to game an incentive program with the rules not clearly defined yet, or if people are genuinely using these products because it's pretty good because admittedly I have not used it. So I don't know if anyone can add some extra color on this one. The secret to the high fees is creating the worst spreads in crypto. <laughs> and you rake in the most fees. But the actual platform itself is awesome. It's it's crazy to see Ribbon pump like this or to expand in value like this because um, the liquidity to fully diluted market cap was insane for a long time. Like they dipped sub seven figure liquidity on the token and then uh, it just, something happened there. Someone added a bunch of liquidity, which is great. Like, I think it's a great product, but they really need to ramp up the market making on there to make it an actual enjoyable experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm coping right now. Uh, you can actually see my capitulation wick on the Coinbase Ribbon USDC, USD chart. Uh, I held that thing, bought, bought it at a good price, sold for a decent profit held it for probably like three to four weeks while Tia and everything else in the market was ripping while this thing was completely staying flat in low liquid chop. And then like one or two influence, influencers like tweeted about uh, Ribbon like last week or a week and a half ago and it proceeded to pump, I don't know, like 30 to 40% since. So um, overall good pro good product. I'm just a little butthurt. I think that the, uh, the Ribbon team has really just demonstrated how Lindy they are 
because I remember like Ribbon Urn was a product and I thought that was super cool in the beginning. But then I think something terrible happened with like uh, Credera lending platform because it was like under collateralized lending and then someone blew up somewhere and like the ability to recover from that and then pivot to like, oh, we're going to make a roll app, like just hats off to the team for staying alive, not blowing up. Yeah, one cool feature they have that I'm hoping they improve upon is like the pre-token trading where you can trade tokens before they're live. So I know when I'm looking, trying to look at what the price of Jupe or Dimension is going to be, it's the first place I go and first place a lot of other people are going. Um, I wish there was maybe more liquidity and trading volume, but obviously it's a new product and people are testing it out. But I think that's obviously like a really cool innovation that they're they're working on. All right, on to the next one then. Uh, Instagram intern on Twitter to jail is what I have written here on uh, on my my note sheet. Uh, they basically tweeted out a low cap coin and it went six x immediately. So I don't know if the Twitter was hacked, like the SECs, or if that's like a legitimate thing. Does anyone have like actual information on what happened there? Or is this just typical shenanigans in another day in crypto? The ticker is swag, and it fully retraced already. But yeah, they did. They did tweet out about these <laughs> these NFTs for some like metaverse monster thing. But I think they're like miniature collectibles too, which like I mean I can actually understand like consumer appeal for miniature collectibles because my girlfriend is going insane over these things called like calico critters. And they're like these little tiny fuzzy things that like girls will just carry like five or six of them in their purse. And like whip them out at a bar or something, and they just like take pictures of them. So I'm here for the the mini mon narrative. That's hilarious. I'll have to have to get myself a furry little creature to carry in my wallet or something. I don't carry a purse, so I don't know where else I'd put it. But anyways, um, exploit on uh, Bungie. I'm probably butchering that just as bad as I did Rabbi. But Bungie Exchange as well as Socket, it's like some bridges. Um, not really completely sure on exactly what happened here, but it sounded like it was people who had infinite approvals on a certain contract uh, basically were able to you know get their funds drained, unfortunately. So Socket already came out publicly today on Tuesday. This episode will probably air on Thursday and said that they paused the effective contracts. Sounds like great decentralization. But side note, um, be careful with bridges is the, the main takeaway there. And we've kind of beaten that one to a dead horse. So I'll just leave that one at that. Westy, I was actually curious on to get your thoughts on this next one. Vitalik posted, I believe it was on Reddit, that he would be for increasing the gas limit on mainnet today, uh, which was kind of a bit surprising. Obviously, this isn't like a serious proposal or anything. He was just kind of making a point like, you know, we can. Uh, do you have any opinions on that or are you not too familiar with the scenario? Yeah, I actually talked a bit about it on Bell Curve last week. But yeah, it's super interesting to come from him because it seems like there's this whole narrative push for all of the users on Ethereum to jump to L2s, that the L1 is just basically hosting roll-up data and settlement. Um, and this is sort of antithetical to that, where it's trying to create better performance on the L1. Um, so it seems kind of weird, but at the same time, you can understand where people are coming from. Obviously, you see Solana and high-throughput chains do really well recently. And the, obviously, you want to attach yourself to some of that and gain liquidity, mind share activity back. And this is one way to do it. Um, and there's also 
questions about around client diversity here as well, where, you know, if you increase the gas limit, then all of a sudden people are going to jump to the majority execution client because Beisu, which is like the second biggest execution client, is way, way, way less performant than Geth. And so it just gives more of a reason for people to just center around one client. So those are like the two biggest issues. But yeah, to me, it seems weird and I'd probably be slightly against it. But like you said, it's not anything super serious at the moment. Okay. Yeah. I actually do remember someone prominent in the Ethereum community coming out and and basically saying like, yeah, like let's not hold back Ethereum performance for one, you know, really minority client. Uh, execution client, Besu, I believe is what it's called. Um, just, yeah, trying to maintain that in the client diversity because only like less than 1% of validators run it anyway. So very helpful context. Thank you, Westy. And then I've got one more for you guys and then I promise I'll stop rambling. DYDX V3 incentives are officially over with the conclusion of Epoch 31. So now 90% of trading fees can be rebated on V4 for users on top of the six-month incentive program uh, that's active and, and was introduced by Chaos Lab. So, on top of that, I saw Antonio tweet over the weekend that his goal for 2024 is to get 500 markets on DYDX V4, which is super cool. They just registered an all-time high in daily volume on V4, which was like 1.2 or 3 billion, something like that, if I'm recalling correctly. So things are humming along over at DYDX. So that's that's pretty cool to see, honestly. It's nice to see the app chain thesis actually proliferate and a lot of that volume starting to migrate over to the Cosmos ecosystem. Effort, I don't know if you have anything you want to share on DYDX. I know you're the Cosmos bull out of us. Yeah, I mean, it's just good. Thank God that this, the transition actually was smooth. Because <laughs> if it wasn't, I mean, the, the Cosmos ecosystem is starting to see some increased mind share again and increased liquidity, like Noble USDC. Um, I think native USDC issued on Noble and, and as the, the canonical USDC of the Cosmos ecosystem uh, is actually surpassed like Optimism, native USDC, and a couple other major uh l1s in the crypto space so there's definitely it's almost at a hundred million dollar market cap today so um increased liquidity in the cosmos is good for ecosystems that was always like good tech but just poor uh liquidity since the post ust collapse but i mean a cosmos app chain is currently the largest dex in crypto by market volume uh so that's pretty huge i think and really a testament to the app chain thesis Yeah. Cheers to the DYDX believers. That's pretty awesome to see in live production. Um, but yeah. Okay. So we'll head over to the hot seat, cool throne section. But before we do that, we got a quick word from Chorus One. Thanks to our fantastic sponsor, DYDX. We're going to be doing five minute short clips with, uh, I guess, founders and relevant parties within, uh, I guess, the ecosystem of DYDX and parties that are relevant to you know what they're trying to accomplish over there. So definitely let us know in the comments if you like uh, this this format. And if you found the content valuable, because that's ultimately the goal here. We're not trying to be shilly. We're just trying to have more of a fun take on advertisements. So it's not as boring as listening to Dan or I or Ren or, or someone else on the team, basically just, you know, reading off a boring ad read. So definitely let us know what you think. We'll see you guys in a sec. Thank you. This week, we're starting a new segment, which is a DYDX segment. In this segment, we'll be inviting participants throughout the DYDX ecosystem to talk about everything and anything happening in there. For the first week, we have Brian Crane, co-founder and CEO of Chorus One, joining us. Thank you so much for coming on, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, to start us off, I mean, 
Chorus One has 50 plus supported protocols and nearly $3 billion in staked assets. You're one of the largest players in the validator space. So throughout all of that, what have you learned about the complexities and challenges that come with staking? Yeah, I mean, I think staking is really sort of at the core of running all of these crypto networks, right? Like today, like most uh, networks are proof of stake networks. And so, you know, doing what we're doing, it really means, you know, running like a, a big variety of different crypto networks with different consensus mechanisms, all kinds of different stuff. So I think uh, definitely one of the important things and things that, you know, we really care about is to understand the technology deeply, you know, have really amazing engineers. Uh, you know, we run our infrastructure on bare metal. So, you know, we really kind of control it fully. Uh, care a lot about security, of course. Another thing that's really crucial about running Valdez, I think, is contributing to the networks we support. And that can have many different forms. Of course, running the nodes is one thing. It can include contributing to governance, decision-making, giving feedback, we invest in protocols. There's like many different ways we try to uh, kind of help the network, contribute to the networks. And then the maybe the third thing I'd mention here is, of course, the the sort of relationship with the token holders because in the end the customer is uh, and who, who helps us generate our revenues right are the people holding tokens but it's not just people right it's people it's vc funds it's wallets it's you know etfs it's um exchanges it's custodians so lots of different parties and they have different requirements they need different products they need data in different ways. Some need APIs, some need user interface. So yeah, I think dealing with all that, figuring what you can do in the best way, supporting all these protocols. I think those are kind of the key things for, I think, for doing this well. So you mentioned how you support a lot of different chains and validate a lot of different chains. What is the main differentiating factor for DYDX? One that comes to mind specifically for me is the, the USDC revenue component as opposed to um, the native token issuance potentially. Uh, but I know there's also uh, fragmented order books um, amongst the validator set. So maybe if you could just speak a little bit to that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think after proof of stake protocols, I think DYDX is probably the only one that I'm aware of that does not have any token issuance. Right, So all of the revenues on DYDX for the stakers and for us as validators come from the trading fees that people are paying when trading on DYDX and, you know, are paid in USDC. So that is super, super cool. And I think that's more, and it, actually the sort of the staking returns APRs are pretty substantial at the moment on DYDX, you know, purely coming from trading fees. Of course, there are like a lot of other things. I mean, just as a product, DYDX is, is very unique, right? Because you have this um, incredible user experience for a decentralized uh, order book based decks. So I think that's a, it's just a super crucial product. And I think it's really one of those projects where, you know, in the future you could imagine thousands, tens of thousands of assets all over the world, all being traded in this one exchange in a decentralized way. So I think it's a, it's in terms of the ambition and the scope of what DYDX is doing, it's very unique and, it's just very exciting. And and I find the user experience of the YDX chain is just fantastic. Yeah, with those unique features that a validator has to be in charge of also comes unique complexities, right? One of which is how MEV is managed on DYDX. 
I've read the papers uh, that Chorus One has produced surrounding MEV on DYDX, and to be honest, they seem like completely different games than the sort of MEV that one would think of on, say, Solana or Ethereum. So, what are your thoughts on MEV in general, and how do you kind of see that play out in the future, especially pertaining to DYDX? So, in general, right, MEV basically revolves around uh, taking the transactions or the blocks and uh, kind of using those in an optimal way to, you know, produce the most value, right, when those blocks are created. And, of course, let's say if you look at Ethereum, there's a whole bunch of different parties that are in that. There's these block builders, then there's relayers, there's validators. Where this all is going is that each party sort of tries to do the thing that's profit-maximizing, and uh, that's where the equilibrium is, right? So in Ethereum, when MEV kind of came up, there was people who were like, oh, this is a bad thing, it's a bad thing. And of course, not long later, everyone was running flashbots, right? And everyone is doing it. In the DYDX case, right? DYDX case basically came to us and they wanted to work with us on figuring out how to do MEV optimally for DYDX chain. And the thing that's very different about DYDX is they control the application as well as the chain, right? They basically felt that, um, no, you know, we concluded, right, that if you're going to have MEV uh, and people, for example, sandwiching uh, users, then this, it's, it's not a great thing, right, for the user experience. And what, what we came up with as a solution here was basically looking at what the validators, uh, basically using like statistical measures to detect when a validator is doing something other than just taking the transactions in the order received and proposing the blocks like that. And if that happens, they basically get penalized. So the idea here is that some kind of monitoring of what all the validators are doing and a potential slashing of validators who engage in some MEV, um, that kind of creates incentives for a validator not to do that. And and that's kind of the equilibrium we have on, on DYDX at the moment. Yeah, that was super interesting, Brian. Thanks for explaining uh, how MEV kind of differs on DYDX chain versus others. And it's really cool. And I'm interested to see it progress over the the coming years as to how that system to mitigate MEV works. Um, but thanks so much for coming on, Brian. We'll be sure to drop a link in the show notes to your Twitter. Do you mind sharing with people uh, where they can learn more about Chorus One? Yeah, sure. Yeah, just go to Chorus.one. So C-H-O-R-U-S dot one. Uh, you know, you can learn a- everything about the networks we support. Uh, we produce a lot of research as well, uh, you know, including on topics like MEV, DUIDX. Um, and, and so you can also find all of that there or you can get in touch if you want to uh, stake or have any other questions you want to discuss with us. Awesome. And next week we will be talking with Kepler. So uh, listeners, be sure to put in the comments if you have any questions for them and we will be sure to ask. Uh, thanks again, Brian. We'll talk to you later. Let's get started with some hot seat cool throne. I'm going to start my hot seat off with a disclaimer. I respect the Solana Foundation. I respect Solana Mobile. I I respect the the ambition it takes to launch a crypto phone. Um but I'm going to get into the the second drop of Saga phones. So I think the original price for Sagas about a year ago was like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars, and one of the perks of getting being you know one of the first to buy the phone was you got this like Saga Genesis NFT, which made you eligible for all kinds of airdrops and like I think 
the dollar amount is like you got like at least $1,200 worth of airdrops between like Bonk, Clanosaurus NFTs, and different things like that. So sales came to like a complete halt for probably like a three or four month period um, before Q4 of last year. And people were like, oh my God, this thing is dead. But then Soul's price started going up and you had a couple of manipulative people on Twitter. Like these are scarce NFTs, essentially. Like the saga is a scarce fungible token because it's a, it's a physical thing. So um, people started aping into the phone and um, they sold out, which is like, great, like awesome. You sold like 20,000 phones or whatever. Um, but now they're launching the second wave of phones and you can pre-order them for, I think, $450, but they don't ship until the first half of 2025. And to like, to add some positification to this, they're like, if you order the phone, you get this referral link. And the more people you refer to buy the phone, the more points you get, which can later be used to count towards like your Genesis NFT which was initially supposed to go to the Genesis purchasers of the first Saga phone. And this is actually the third price decrease on the Saga phones because they dropped the price like halfway through last year because like sales completely stopped. So like the, the strategy here for the Saga phone is just kind of ambiguous at this point. Like it's like, please Solano devs, if you're building something, airdrop something to the saga phone people so they have a reason to buy but it's also like by the way please refer people after you buy your saga like we'll give you points and we need to end points points are so overdone and so like is this a consumer facing phone is this an nft is this like a, a scarce value thing like there's no clear product strategy for what the saga phone is at this point and I feel like it's just been like really forced. Like in reality, I do not want to use an Android phone right now. I like the blue text. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about this. Yeah, I definitely want to reiterate. We're done with points, please. Like I feel like I see a new point system pop up every day. And it's it's really getting annoying as a user. But at the same time, I can I can understand why team and want to do points because it incentivizes more activity. But at a certain point, people stop caring and they leave your application. You need to obviously launch your token at the correct time. But yeah, I'm definitely just done with points. But on the Saga phone specifically, uh, I'd be curious if uh, there's a lot of the original phones being sold on eBay, uh, etc. I'd wonder if Obviously, like the floor prices of the phones started dropping once once this went live because, I mean, you had basically, what, uh, 2x and then the total number of phones being launched. Um, but I do think at the same time, like you said, this is sort of a little bit forced, but I do think a lot of projects that are going to be focused on the mobile aspect of things are going to airdrop to Saga holders. And so I think at a price of 450, it probably could be lucrative on, in that sense. But at the same time, you have to wait a whole year to even get your phone. You're probably not even going to use the phone anyway. You're just going to take the airdrop tokens, sell them into USDC. Yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of question marks too on this. I do think though, like 
even though it's probably forced. I mean, Solana is definitely trying to play this playbook of being like the deep end chain. And if maybe not this version of, of uh, Saga Phone, but I could definitely see a future iteration of Saga Phone. Uh, obviously, like partner with Helium, I think the first Saga Phone did that in one, one way, shape, or form. Um, maybe like leveraging like Hive Mapper. Like I can definitely see a bunch of deep in projects that are building on Solana starting to build their own sensors and then kind of like starting to actually help build like the parts of the Saga phone overall. So it actually becomes like a, um, I don't know, like a Solana phone that's like built by the developers of major deep end protocols on Solana. So like there definitely is something there, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not a really big fan of points either, but I also see the idea of like trying to gamify and growing the, adoption of, of the saga phone uh, i haven't looked into any of the details like is this version it's cheaper but does it have like better any new features or anything cool that is like unique or is it just like another android phone i think it's just another android phone okay i mean i i do think like mobile adoption of crypto is like the future i'm I would really love to see like coinbase try to create like their own coinbase phone eventually that's leveraging like the full deep pin stack leveraging like Rweave or Filecoin for like storage instead of using like Apple Cloud. Like the, there's definitely a product there. And I think it's really brave that Solana kind of went out originally to try to build this. Maybe it's a little too early and they're trying to just catch a narrative and raise, raise capital, uh, which I also get to. Um, it's probably just too early, but at the same time, like the original Apple iPhone was way too early. It was way ahead of its time. It only spoke to a really niche market, but look how big the Apple iPhone ended up being. Like you got to dominate. You their, their their marketing campaigns are extremely crypto native, but that's exactly what you need to do. You need to like get your initial, uh, you know, hype fans that are like gonna you know live and die by the saga phone, and then eventually like it becomes like worldwide phenomenon. So, um, you know, it's probably overdone to the points play, but I also see like why they're doing it. Because let's be honest, all of us are crypto degens, and this is what we like to see. I also think the airdrops kind of ruined that aspect of things because you have people buying like five of these phones just to get the airdrops. So any organic activity coming from mobile, I don't think is really going to be there. And back to the, uh, the Coinbase mobile point, I think it is really interesting because Base had a couple of apps that launched that you could add to your home screen on an iPhone. So like obviously there's FriendTech and then there was like FriendPet. And clearly the security was not great on that compared to like Saga's like MPC wallet that they have. But I think that's kind of the way for mobile strategy right now is to do something where you like you add it to the home screen, you're getting past the Apple app store and you're still getting like distribution to basically anyone with the phone. So I think there's like way lower barriers to entry doing it that way versus going and creating this like kind of like prehistoric hardware that just can't compete with anything else. Yeah, that's that's where the case kind of gets lost for me. It's like I, I you're not gonna take away my blue text messages. It's just not it's not gonna happen. Like I love the iPhone. All my friends have an iPhone. Like it works with all of my devices seamlessly, like AirPods, iWatch, Mac, like there's no way that's getting replicated. But I will say like I'm excited about Solana trying to do something different. It's just very exhausting seeing a million of the same AMMs pop up, the same perp stexes, the same NFT marketplaces. So I'll at least give them a hat tip for for trying something new. But uh, Effort, what do you got uh, in the hot seat or cool thread this week? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll put the Cosmos Hub and the Atom asset on the hot seat. Um, so there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about Eigenlayer and, and E3 staking and AVS and what have you. Uh, again, like I think, think 99% of the crypto population has no idea what any of these actually are, but they're going to bid Eigenlayer to a trillion dollars. But um, just this, this week, uh, a project named Ethos, which I believe was incubated by Polychain, but don't hold me to that. I, I could be wrong there. Uh, they're a Cosmos app chain that came out of Stealth that's going to be built pretty much an Eigenlayer AVS that's going to offer shared security to Cosmos app chains. Um, so pretty much you can be an ETH, uh, you can delegate your ETH, restake it to Ethos, and then Ethos can pretty much, uh, Ethos operators can offer shared security, uh, cheaper shared security to Cosmos app chains than uh, potentially the Cosmos hub can. So you know, this is obviously really worrisome for the Cosmos Hub as like the original vision for it was to become a shared security provider. Um, there was really no, you know, that Ethereum uh, was offering shared security to rollups, but there was there was always like external competition for the Cosmos Hub outside of the Cosmos ecosystem. But now there's like internal competition. If Ethos comes in, brings ETH liquidity, brings ETH security, uh, and it's gonna be really interesting to see like, will Cosmos app chains and Cosmos developers, it really becomes an alignment game at that at the end of the day and also a, a cost game too. But I'm really curious to see like what's going to be a cheaper solution and what is going to be like, uh, will Cosmos developers decide to align with the hub uh, regardless of all the drama it's historically had or will they decide to align with like a newer, shinier uh, shared security solution that has the promises of, you know, potentially aligning themselves like Ethereum ecosystem and Ethereum capital. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm a Cosmos Hub bull overall, uh, but I definitely think like Ethos coming in and, and I think they're going to be launching sometime in like late Q1, early Q2 with a couple consumer chains uh, right off the bat. Um, so definitely something to be worried about if I was like solely in, in Atom. Um, but, you know, Atom also does have a couple things on the horizon, like opt-in security, which is going to offer like permissionless security, shared security. So uh, today, consumer chains have to like ask Cosmos Hub governance uh, to join the the shared security offering. Uh, but I know in the next like, couple quarters, it's going to be completely permissionless. Operators can decide what consumer chains to secure and what, what not. That should lower the cost of security. That should make the Cosmos Hub's offering more scalable. But it doesn't have ETHs, you know, allure. Uh, and also Eigenlayer, like the whole narrative is brand new and shiny. So um, definitely worrisome for the Cosmos Hub. Um, and I, I think, you know, even though shared security is going to be a commoditized market at the end of the day, uh, brand is a powerful thing. And I would say like right now, Adam's brand is not as strong as it really should be. Uh, and it's even though it has like all the fundamentals, in my opinion, um, it's just lacking like that clear narrative. Is that the only thing these app chains are going to be thinking about when deciding between something like Ethos and the hub? Is it just like brand and narrative? Are there other specific differences between implementations or between sort of ETH as an asset and Atom as an asset? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously like ETH is, it's ETH, right? It's like it's like the unicorn outside of Bitcoin for the, the entire crypto space. So, uh, I, I mean, outside of like brand um, and alignment, it also is going to come down to cost. So if you're an ETH staker today, you're already getting you know, 3% plus yields just from staking your ETH. And you're maybe willing to uh, offer your ETH security at a cheaper cost 
per capital than an Adam staker because an Adam staker is not getting like this 3% plus yield. Like they're only strictly getting yield through inflation and not uh, transaction fees or what have you. So I definitely think cost is going to come into play. Um, and I also think like people don't want to deal with governance. So, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to see what the opt-in security solution looks like for the Cosmos Hub. I've been talking really closely with Jahan, who's like the lead developer uh, for the Cosmos Hub in, in that a- aspect. Um, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see like dual security models. So um, like if you're osmosis, you can actually leveraging ethos, you can ha- have not only Osmo token secure your app chain, you can also have ETH, secu- uh, ETH uh, securing your app chain as well. So you're going to start seeing like security aggregation where multiple assets are securing uh, given AVSs or giving app- given app chains. And at the end of the day, like, what would you rather have secure your app chain today? Would you rather have ETH or Atom? Even though I'm an Atom bull, I'd probably take ETH just because it's a more Lindy asset overall, even though I think Atom is still an incredibly Lindy asset given it hasn't done much historically and still has a multi-billion dollar market cap. But um, it's really hard to just like fight the network effects of ETH. What are some reasons why an app chain would create sort of a Cosmos chain and then pay for security from Atom or ETH? Versus having a roll-up, maybe a sovereign roll-up that inherits security from Celestia or maybe ETH and doesn't have to pay inflation over time. Are there other considerations there? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, like until, I, I've said this a lot, but like I think until we actually see a decentralized roll-up, I'm not ready to call like roll-ups cheaper than app chains. It, all roll-up, I mean, I might get like flamed for saying this in the comments, but all a rollup is going to be is an app chain with like three or four validators or like 10 validators <laughs> that are sequencing the transactions. Like, yes, you have like maybe different um, security assumptions, uh, a sequencer versus like a full stack uh, validator. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously right now, like I would say if you truly believe in decentralization, like rollups just aren't ready. And I would also argue that like a lot of roll-up frameworks just aren't ready yet for mainstream. Um, the OP stack is probably the closest to compete with the Cosmos SDK, but the Cosmos SDK is still like the best uh, app-specific blockchain framework uh, in crypto today. And I think for the foreseeable future, that's going to remain the case. Um, but I could definitely see a point where you launch as an app chain, you find somewhat some product market fit, leveraging whatever shared security, security solution you want. And then maybe as these uh, roll-app frameworks like through dimension or through roll kit or something find maturity and economics are a little more figured out then you kind of pivot to like a sovereign roll up over time but um yeah sorry we're kind of hammering your questions here effort but whatever happened with adam one is that like getting any traction like is that forked the community in any substantial way since we last spoke about it nothing's happened uh it's I think the Jaquan is still kind of working on it. Uh, there's like a GitHub forums going back and forth where the community is talking about it. But I, I think that there's a pretty like big delineation or a big separation between those that are for Atom one and those that are mostly for Atom. And I would say like a very, very, very small minority is actually like interested in Atom one, even though like the decrease in inflation proposal was like a, a pretty even split 50, 50. I think a lot of people that were against lowering the inflation that ultimately led to like the separation and the, the creation of Adam one. I think a lot of people that are, were against the inflation prop 
weren't so against it that they're willing to kind of like leave Adam. They're more so just like voicing their opinion, like, hey, we don't want to decrease inflation. But I also think they know that like, you know, uh, I think Jay has kind of spread his resources thin and probably doesn't have the same, uh, not, not just the bandwidth, but, but like the ability and resources to actually stand up like a legitimate uh, competitor to the hub. Um, so I'm pretty bearish on Adam one. Everyone was trying to like every, all the narrative shills on Twitter were trying to say like how Adam one airdrop is like bullish the hub. I mean, look, I'm like a big mid, I mid curve everything. I, I just don't understand how that's a narrative at all. There's so many other real narratives for the hub, but uh, I sometimes don't understand like how this market thinks. That's pretty funny, actually. I think that uh, narrative in quotations. I'm, I'm for the listeners. I'm doing quotations with my fingers. I think that was just on your timeline effort because I, I didn't see that like literally at all. <laughs> What's up, everyone? March is approaching fast, and I want to give you another reminder not to miss out on Das London. It is coming. It's right around the corner, and it's in March from the 18th to the 20th. We have three full days of content. This is your chance to bump shoulders with some of the world's top executives and have open dialogue with both attendees and speakers. We're going to be focusing on a range of topics that I'll let Ren discuss for you. First on the list, we have Bitcoin Catalyst, the halving and spot ETF. Next, we have a view from the buy side from investors on things like strategy, portfolio allocation, and more. We also have a topic on RWA's tokenization and stable points, which I think we can all agree are going to play a large role in crypto's future. We'll also talk about global regulatory frameworks like compliance best practices and the evolution of global standards that are shaping the global investment landscape. We'll also have someone from the institutional front to talk about infrastructure such as banking and payments with financial giants like Visa and JP Morgan. And last on the list, the macro case for digital assets. So don't miss out on this monumental event. Seats are limited. So be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London. Wesley, who you got in the hot seat, cool throne? Yeah, I can take over here. Um, I actually have Arbitrum in the hot seat. Um, in full disclosure, we're big delegates. We love Arbitrum. But there's something that passed Snapshot the other day, which was a new long-term incentive program, so LTIP as they're calling it, and they voted basically to put out 45 million ARB, which is roughly $100 million, to give as incentives uh, for these protocols. Um, so the pros proposal looks locked in to pass Snapshot right now, but we'll still have a substantial process before the incentives actually start. So you have like a three-week tally vote, a six-week application process, between then and then unknown operational overhead. Um, yeah, to me, the reason why I put them in the hot seat is this kind of seems like frivolous spending, especially after the STIP program was just a few months ago. And the whole point of that program was to figure out what kind of incentives drove the best outcomes for Arbitrum as a whole. Uh, and this program was, I feel like something like this program should build on the, the previous process this one only builds off the application process itself, which did have, did have a lot of issues, but it has, did no work in figuring out what the outcomes were, how incentives affected certain outcomes, et cetera, which I think is the most important part. Um, so whether you're not, well, but whether you're not, you agree with the spending, is still something you need to keep your eye out for, just like the, the steps were last year, where we can see which protocols stand to benefit the most from having these incentives so it's going to be something to look out for but overall not the biggest fan what do you guys think about it 
I think we can see a good example of what happens with um, this last round of OP retroactive rewards and how like some of the bodies came to the surface and it's like these totally fake causes and like fake initiatives come out and it's like, oh, they got paid like a quarter million dollars to do what? Like the website's not even active anymore for their project. And uh, I think this opens the door for a lot of that to happen later down the road. I mean, it's probably happening right now. So it's not a great look, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm glad this ARB is vesting into the community instead of vesting into VC wallets. Yeah, I think that's my like stamp of approval on it, honestly, is just kind of more evenly distributing the supply to users because this is specifically targeted towards the end users, which I think is a pro. I also like spending treasury more so in bull markets than I do so in bear just to get the most bang for your buck. And I think, you know, ARBs run up pretty substantially since the lows, like three, four X. So I don't mind spending a little bit, but it does feel like there's quite a few cooks in the kitchen over in the Arbitrum DAO. It's, there's like new proposals up every other day. And a lot of it involves heavy treasury spending. Like Westy said, we don't really know what the last dips program, like what the real conclusions were on effectiveness. And I also have a question because I don't know why it's called a long-term incentives program. Are they like looking to, yeah, why is it called that? It's the same thing. They have to spend it within 14 weeks, right? Yeah, I think it's just longer than the short-term incentive program. I think they're also implying that this will be continuous, right? That they'll be funding once this is over. And to me, that just indicates the treasury is just a revolving door of spending more money and spending more money. And until there's a process in place of seeing where the clear outcomes are, where incentives are being best spent until we do that, then the spending is frivolous in my opinion. I have a request that someone who receives this, this L tip creates like a, an RWA platform on Arbitrum where I can stake some stables for 5% APY but also get ARB rewards on top. Like make, make something useful for me that like sweetens the deal on some stablecoin yield. One thing I'm thinking about is like all these incentive programs that like Optimism's throwing at developers and builders and users, Arbitrum as well, obviously. How does base combat that? How does base like, like base, I don't think Coinbase is going to be spending a hundred million dollars uh, unless they come out with like a base token, which obviously I think they've said no, but I'd have to speculate they do that eventually. Uh, but like, uh, assuming that they don't launch a token, like, what is the incentive to build on base over, uh, you know, over Arbitrum giving out a hundred million dollars in a fourteen-week period? <laughs> That's crazy, and we're calling that a pilot project, which is not a pilot uh but yeah curious your guys thoughts like how does like it, it, do you think developers are actually going to choose to build on base just because of the coin base branding uh or do you think they're going to follow like the incentives i think the incentive is distribution in a world where base gets a ton of users but like that experience needs to be beefed up substantially but distribution is a far greater incentive than cold hard tokens in your wallet if you're truly passionate about what you're building and want to see like genuine usage of your platform. Well, that's that last part is the asterisk that I agree. I agree with, but do <laughs> whatever. I'm not a builder in web three. I'm just a researcher. 
uh, and I love this space, but like, do we actually think the majority of developers are actually here for a long time or are they here for a good time? The meaningful ones have a huge ego and they're here for the, for the long run. Fair. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Pibbles' take. I think it's <clears throat> distribution over short-term incentives, but it'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out. Yeah, I think like on something like Arbitrum, the whole idea is to attract users to the chain. Whereas with Base, the whole idea is that Coinbase has the users already. They just need to take them and onboard them into Web3. And with that, they'll go to Base. So either way, as a developer, you're either hoping to attract new people to the chain you're building on, or in Base's case, be at a place that the users hopefully are just easily funneled to. The whole idea is we want users as an application. It'd be pretty cool to see Arbitrum when they launch these incentive programs to juice the amount of fees that they charge users and then just take the extra delta that they're earning as revenue because then like you're kind of getting some of the value of your ARB token back and it's also in an exogenous collateral in ETH. So it's a bit like selling tokens, but without selling tokens. Just an idea. If anyone in Arbitrum is listening to this, maybe uh, throw it on the forum. But uh, anyways, I can. did anyone else have anything else to, to add to that? right there or do you am i ready to go into my hot sequel turn the only thing i'm going to say is there's some there's two really lengthy uh forum posts on arbitrum's forums around like treasury management one by like the era finance gauntlet team uh and the other one by karpotki that i think everyone should definitely read um because i think when you're talking about 100 million dollar grant programs when you're talking about the steps i forgot exactly what the total amount for steps was like they're paying an arb like that, that's a considerable amount of sell pressure for the arb token which obviously is like reflexive negatively reflects a flywheel of like more sell pressure on ARB, ARB goes down, that's less grant capital for future initiatives, uh, but really well thought out and thorough uh, forum posts are around like how to allocate the treasury properly, how do you actually leverage like protocol liquidity, create like deeper liquidity for ARB so that uh, it can fund these initiatives for a longer time frame. Uh, but just wanted to bring that up because I thought they were really good reads this morning. Yeah, we'll be sure to link to those in the show notes. I'll have to grab those from you, Effort, after the after we stop recording here. But I'll move on to my cool throne. I guess actually the only cool throne of the day. Uh, I've got Blur. Uh, about $30 million worth of tokens unlocked yesterday. So that makes 18% of the total supply having uh, vested and unlocked since June 15th, which I saw that from Woo Blockchain on Twitter and was pretty surprised. That's like a substantial amount of tokens. But the price is up huge. It's up from a low of 15 cents about a year ago or so up to 72 cents today. So that's been a fantastic trade. Uh, and all of this without revenue share yet. And I think that this is just a generally really good play if you're bullish on NFTs at all i think that funds will probably use this as a proxy slash index token for nft exposure which pibbles has actually called out for literally since the token honestly before the token launch so hat tip to you pibbles but um i think uh they'd rather hold those than the no liquid jpegs um but on the other hand that's less buyers in the market so Maybe that's kind of more bearish for NFT volume. So maybe those two balance each other out. But I think generally speaking, NFT marketplaces have a huge uh, redemption arc this cycle. We have never seen revenue share with NFT marketplaces during a bull run. And uh, I mean, for for some context, OpenSea was bringing 
tens of millions, over $40 million a month of revenue during a bull. And all of that was just going to the company behind OpenSea. So for extra context on top of that, uh, DYDX put in like $80 million of earnings over last year. So, I mean, that's just like NFT marketplaces were bringing in way more revenue than, than perps even. So I think put a revenue share on that and you kind of get a, a really nice, uh, nice setup for blur basically. And then on top of that, the same founder Pac-Man, I believe is behind blast. Please correct me if I'm wrong there. I might be botching that, but I think that kind of plays into the blur narrative a little bit, even though blast will probably launch its own token. I think that there'll be some synergies between the two. Um, so yeah, generally speaking, like tensor blur, like these pro style NFT marketplaces that are genuinely better than the competition on their chains. I think they'll do really well because they have genuinely good products. Um, and I think that funds that want exposure to this stuff will, will definitely be opting for the token over the NFTs, but, uh, not sure if anyone here has thoughts on blur. Yeah. I would just add to that, um, blast testnet actually got announced. So that's probably like a huge catalyst for why. Blur is doing so well this week, and obviously people knew this last week, and you can see it on the chart. Um, but also, like they're doing this contest for DApp developers on Blast. Like there's actual judges, and they'll be connected with investors. So Blast is kind of taking all the necessary steps to have usable things on day one. Um, so I think most of the price auction or action ties back to Blast for now, but do second that all the uh the nft index thesis and everything else with blur is super good reason to have exposure to blur yeah yeah i'll also reiterate that pac-man is the founder of both blur and blast and the whole point at least from him of building blast is to create a better environment for trading nfts so having it on a roll-up and having native yield for the eth that's bidding these assets he thinks it's just a better uh, just platform in general. And eventually it'll migrate to Blast, but I wonder what that looks like because obviously you're trading NFTs that exist on mainnet. So how would you, ex- you trade them on a rollup? Maybe you have some sort of like IOU that represents your ownership of the token on L1 that maybe is locked in the bridge contract. I'm not really sure what that's going to look like, but I, I'm you know interested to see the designs as they come out. But yeah, as Pivotal said, they're they're doing their best to try and have on day one of mainnet a lot of applications things to use on mainnet and with 1.3 billion dollars in the bridge i believe right now obviously there's enough incentive for builders to try and port their application there and try and you know gain some mind share some activity etc and i do think once this thing launch launches as much as i don't really like how they went about their whole announcement etc i do think it's primed for a lot of weird and interesting activity, uh, probably a lot of uh, debauchery, meme coinery, et cetera. There's $1.3 billion in capital people are just looking to utilize on the chain. And so, yeah, a lot's going to happen. And I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that that launch. Just around, um, not specifically Blur, but like NFT marketplaces in general. Uh, also, I want to quickly put like bad kids on the cool throne. Uh, so if you guys don't know, Bad Kids are like the NFT collection for the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, and I think Stargaze is like the the NFT marketplace app chain uh, of the Cosmos ecosystem. They're like OG builders there. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see like how how Star, Stars, which is like the Stargaze native token, trades uh, along with Blur, especially like 
if there's this whole narrative that like blast is like the blur l2 and it gets like an l2 valuation and then you're seeing stars so stars right now is fully diluted at like 135 million bal blur is at like two point something billion right now and obviously blur has like the allure of being an eth l2 it does a lot i'm sorry uh an ethereum nft marketplace it does a lot more volume and revenue than stargaze like for sure orders of magnitude but i do think that um stars could be like a catch-up play uh or a it might get a re-rating uh with with blur like continuing to increase in value especially like the, off the back of blast and also bad kids has become like again like the nft collection owned in the cosmos ecosystem they've already if you own a bad kid you've already received a, uh, a tia airdrop you you're going to receive a dimension airdrop you're you already received a namada airdrop and i think you're starting to see that like everyone that is launching cosmos app chain is airdropping to bad kids holders uh and there's a couple other um collections tied to the bad kids collection as well like bit kids is one um they're pretty cool i've owned one i think the floor right now is like four thousand dollars i think there was like a free mint when it first went live uh so just really interesting something interesting to see and i'm pretty bullish overall like the stargaze platform and the the, the developers over there uh but thought it was relative you know uh since we were talking about blair i thought it was good to bring up stargaze and bad kids i used stargaze one time to mint stargaze troopers like two years ago they were like a stargaze validator i just checked their twitter account they have not tweeted since july 2022 so you know i think i'm done with stargaze <laughs> I just bent the knee and bought one actually. So that means all the airdrops are probably in the rear view mirror. Um, so full disclosure for anyone looking to buy one. <laughs> and I think I actually, I just set a bid in too. And I think I got the ugliest one in the entire collection. So that was, that was pretty unfortunate, honestly. That's bullish. <laughs> Do you know what the token, like, um, I guess supply looks like for stars out of curiosity effort? Like how much of that is vested slash is anything set aside for incentives? I'm not gonna lie, I don't know off the top of my head. Um but maybe we can include it in the show notes uh in a link if I could find the supply uh, contract or like the supply schedule. Cool, cool. That sounds good. All right, well, I think that's a good spot to end it. Westy Pibble's effort. Thanks for coming on as always and taking an hour out of your day. We will chat with you guys next week. Hey everyone, thanks for watching today's ZeroX Research episode. I wanted to take a second and remind you about our upcoming 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Seats are limited, so hit the link in the description and use the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London.